You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. It is really good to see you guys this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is Michael Bailey. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Fellowship. It's really, really good to get to be with you guys this morning, as always, uh, as we open up God's Word together. You know, we're right in the middle of a series that we're calling In Columbia As It Is In Heaven, and legitimately, every time I watch that little bumper vid that we do, I'm like, Columbia is awesome. Like, this is a tremendously wonderful place for us to live. Like, we have the lake and the river and all these great things. Like, I want to engage in that stuff more is kind of what I think when I I watch that. But uh, if you're just joining us, here's what we're doing. Uh, We're just kind of walking through God's strategy for establishing his kingdom here on earth, that he intends to spread the message of his good news through his people, you and me. And we're looking at the practices of what the people who follow Jesus look like. Like, what are followers of Jesus? What do they do? Uh, And today we're looking at our covenant practices of confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Now, uh, I'll forewarn you, I I feel like for some of us, those two words can kind of, they can kind of feel like loaded terms at times, right? Like you hear confess and repent, and it can bring up some rather negative imagery for some of us. Like I know for some of us, uh, what, what it kind of brings to mind is the idea of like a red-faced preacher who's like yelling about the end times and the evils of alcohol and R-rated movies. And so you hear me say that and you're like, okay, you know what, Bailey, I believe in the gospel here. I believe in grace. I'm done with that. Okay. I am done with having somebody yell at me about uh, what I watch on TV or go to the movies to see. For others of us, it brings to mind the image of going into a big wooden closet and confessing to a priest or an authority figure all of the bad things that we had done recently in sort of an effort to appease our conscience or to make amends with God or whatever it may be. And so what I I feel like I got to do a little bit for us this morning is help us reclaim these terms a little bit uh, to see with some clarity what these practices actually are. Because the truth is, is they are some of the most beautiful things that followers of Jesus do. Uh, In fact, they're some of the most definitive things that followers of Jesus do. uh, And they absolutely enhance our daily walks with Christ. And so what I hope to do today is just keep everything really simple and straightforward as possible uh, in hopes that it not only gives you some understanding about what confession and repentance are, but actually encourages you to walk in them this week. And so to do that, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, We'll start in verse 5 and we'll work our way through verse 10. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to read a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit, we're going to read a little bit and talk a little bit until we get to the end, and then we'll be done. So let's pick up in verse 5. This is the Apostle John writing, and this is what he says. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So let's pause here for a moment and talk about a few things. So light and dark are huge themes throughout the scriptures. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this, this imagery of light versus darkness comes up all the time. And it's one specifically that the Apostle John loves to use. He brings it up something like 35 times in his biography of Jesus's life, which we call the gospel according to John. Uh, and it reaches its highlight in John chapter 8 when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He consistently draws our attention to the fact that our God, Jesus Christ, is light. And when we follow him, he becomes 
our light and, uh, and the ways of sin and the world and every other belief system or life philosophy or whatever else is actually darkness. Now, this is going to sound really simple, uh, but I hope rather illuminating. Get it? Right? Hey, come on, guys. Look alive. Let's be there. All right? Uh, it's going to be simple, but I hope it's rather illuminating. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about being in the dark for a moment. Okay? Just kind of put yourself in that space about what it looks like or what it feels like to be in the dark, perhaps walking around in it late at night when you're trying to get a midnight snack or whatever it may be. Being in darkness is not fun. Right? Like, it's, it's actually rather awful. You can't see where you're going. You don't know what's around you. It feels isolating. It might make you feel a little nervous or something like that. I'll give you an example from my own life. So a few weeks ago, Lauren and I were in bed, sound asleep. It was like the middle of the night, okay? And I'm, I'm a rather light sleeper in general. Like, it doesn't take much to wake me up. Uh, and something in the middle of the night kind of stirred me awake. And I was still in that weird space of, like, semi-consciousness, not really knowing what is going on. All I knew is that I, as I opened my eyes, everything was pitch black. Like it was completely dark. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, what's going on? I hear this like creeching sound on my side of the bed, like the sound of feet rubbing up against carpet. Uh, and then I hear this voice, which I swear sounded like a 40-year-old man whisper, hey, hey, let me in. And so, again, I'm in this, like, weird, groggy space, and I'm like, okay, this is the moment. This is what I've been training for. This is the space where, like, I am here now. This is where I'm going to show my family what kind of protector I am. And so I immediately become alert. My heart starts racing. I jump out of bed, and I give whatever this is beside me. One of these quick grabs, like grabbing the intruder, is going to do anything. But I grab, and what I think is supposed to be a 40-year-old intruder winds up being my 4-year-old son, right? <laughs> And eventually my eyes adjust, and he's just like looking at me like he's never seen dad move that quick. And I'm just like, oh, Cannon, I'm so sorry. You scared the tar out of dad. I, I just, oh, I cannot believe I did this to you. You see, what happened was is I was deceived by the darkness, right? Like I couldn't see clearly what was going on in front of me, and I almost gave my kids something to talk about in counseling for the rest of his life. If I had just done the sensible thing and flip on the light switch, I would have been able to see so clearly. I would have been able to see reality for what it was. I would have been able to see that this was my son, not an intruder, and respond a bit more appropriately because this is what light does. It helps us see what's in front of us. It helps us see what is real, what is true. And the biblical theme is that sin is darkness and leads us into further darkness, but God is light. And what this means for us then is that God for us is the source of ultimate reality. He is the source of all that is right and true and good because he is the creator of all things. So he alone knows what is right, true, and good for all things that he has made. That he alone is the one who puts all things into appropriate perspective. That he alone is what defines reality. That he is what brings all things into focus. And it's through him that we actually see our lives and the world around us with clarity. And at its core, what sin is, is an attempt on our part to actually define reality for ourselves. That's what sin ultimately really is. Another way to say it would be that sin is defining for ourselves what is right, true, and good instead of submitting to what God has declared to be right, true, and good. And all temptation to sin, in a sense, is a temptation to believe a lie. 
okay? To believe an illusion about reality. And we see this all the way back in the garden when the tempter says to Eve, did God really say, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden or this tree in the garden? What, what's he doing there? He's tempting her to reshape reality for herself. Is God really after your best interest? Does God really know what's good for you? Does God really know what's right for you and what you need in this moment? And he essentially says to her or suggests to her, no, no, he's not. He's holding out on you. And you need to take this fruit and become like him. You need to become God for yourself. And this is at the root of every simple action, thought, word, or belief that God doesn't know what he's doing and we are better off deciding these things for ourselves, that we are better off being king instead of him. And the Bible calls this darkness, it uses this imagery of darkness because who are we to determine ultimate reality, right? We are finite human beings. Who are we to determine what is ultimately right, true, and good? We don't have that kind of perspective. And in every way that we rebel against God, whether it be in secret or out in the open, in the ways where we disagree with him and think we're smarter than him, we are attempting to create our own pseudo-reality of sorts. But it's dark there. It's warped. It's a little bit like the upside down from Stranger Things, right? Our lives become a shadow of what God actually intends for them. They become a shadow of what it really means to be human, but twisted and disfigured into something quite horrible, something they were never intended to be and something that doesn't work. Because God knows that to spend your life believing or, to, or pretending to be something that you aren't meant to be is going to be horrible and deforming for your soul because it's not real. It's not what he made you to do. So for example, if you live your life believing that you determine what is ultimately true about your sexuality, perhaps that you're just a glorified animal with a sex drive, that's gonna go bad for you and it's gonna go bad for the people around you because that's not reality. If you live your life believing that what gives you meaning and worth are the job you have or your status in society or the numbers in your bank account, that's ultimately going to go bad for you on some level and likely bad for those who are around you because that's not reality. God knows that unreality is bad for you and he wants you to be whole. So he bids us to come and be in the light. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. This is the charter of what we believe as a people, that he came to reverse the curse of sin in our lives and in the world around us by living the life free of sin that we have not lived, by dying the death that we ultimately deserve for sin, because sin deserves cosmic justice. It's rebellion against God, and it deserves some wrath and some punishment, some justice on that. But he takes that in our place, and then he was raised to new life to defeat forever the power of darkness in our lives and in in this world and to seal for us a new life with God forever in the life when everything will be put back together the way it was meant to be, when we will be what it actually means to be truly, fully human in the connection, in life, lived with God. This is what Jesus came to do, to rescue us from all the pseudo-realities we create for ourselves and all the destruction that they leave in their wake. And if you're a believer in Jesus, this is what is true for you. God has shown you unmerited grace 
to rescue you from darkness, to save you from the power of sin in your life and the wrath it ultimately deserves, to bring you back into reality. So that's the backdrop for all this light and darkness talk uh, that John sets up for us. Let's keep moving in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John contrasts what we say versus how we walk, right? Like we can say that we have fellowship with Jesus until we're blue in the face. But if we walk in darkness, our words don't actually mean anything. If you live like you don't see the light, you're a liar and you do not practice the truth is what John says here. So what he's saying in some respect is what we do is actually more indicative of what we believe than the things we say which most of us tend to sense instinctively. This is why hypocrisy bothers us so, so much, right? Like we almost have no tolerance for someone who doesn't practice what they preach. And that's a good thing. Like we should, we should have that uh, sensitivity because God does too. The problem is, is we tend to be great at seeing hypocrisy in other people and really, really bad in seeing it in ourselves, right? Really bad at acknowledging it within us. And John's point here is that if you're a believer in Jesus... There ought be a fundamental change in how you live your life in light of the gospel, where we no longer pursue darkness, but walk in the light as he is in the light. Simply put, all John is saying is that followers of Jesus live like the gospel is true. We live like the gospel is true, since it is what is ultimate reality. So believers in Jesus no longer live as though sin were the good stuff in life, or that, or, uh, but that God is the good stuff in life, right? Followers of Christ don't walk around like we are the ones who determine what is right and true and good, but that God is the one who determines these things. The church is not meant to be a people who are puffed up or swelled up with pride because of how together they are, how they're on the right track or whatever it may be, but rather people who walk with humility because we know we ultimately needed saving. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to walk in the light. So let's talk about the implications of this for a little bit. We're going to get a little practical here. The implications of this are, number one, that as Christians, we are meant to be a people who are done with hiding. As Christians, we are a people who are done with hiding. Skip down to verse 8. We'll come back to verse 7 in just a moment. This is what he writes. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what does he say here? He says to walk in the light. What this means is if we confess our sins and if we say we don't have sin, we're not practicing the truth. We are lying. Practically speaking, confession and repentance are the means by which we walk in the light and practice the truth of what is real. I'll give you some working definitions here just so we kind of have our brains wrapped around what confession and repentance actually are. Confession is simply being, with, being honest with God and others about the sin in our lives. And repentance is turning from that sin to live in line with what is true. Confession is being honest with God and others about the sin in our lives, about our brokenness, about our mess, and repentance is turning from those things to live in line with what God says is true. Essentially, you could say that confession and repentance are leaving un the unreality we create for ourselves and returning to God's reality, saying, God, 
I am wrong and you are right always. I am wrong and you are right always. What you say is true and where I'm off, I'm going to own that. I'm going to expose that and turn away from it because of who you are and what you've done for me through Christ. Or to say it another way, that if sin is what sent Jesus to the cross, then we are a people who recognize it has no place in our life. Now, as the Apostle Paul says, how can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Confession and repentance are the means by which we bring this out into the light and, light and through the Spirit's help, root it out of our lives. If you want to see a great example of what walking in darkness looks like, you really don't have to go much further than what happens immediately after Adam and Eve eat the fruit in the garden. They realize their nakedness. Essentially, they feel exposed. And so what they attempt to do is they attempt to hide themselves from each other and from God. And of course, God isn't fooled. He, he knows what's gone on. But this is one of the effects that sin has in us. The presence of sin in us makes us want to hide. It makes us want to cover ourselves. We don't want it to be seen. We want, it to, we want to deny its reality and have everything just sort of look right and appropriate on the outside. Essentially, we don't want to be known as sinners. We want to fight against that and think that we actually have it all together and we are good on our own. And so one of the chief ways that we walk in darkness is we lie to ourselves and we lie to others about the presence of sin in our life. So I'll give you an example of this uh, even in, in my own life. So uh, if you were to follow me around with a camera, uh, which don't do that, by the way, that's illegal. Please don't do that. Uh, I don't care if Facebook does it. Don't you do that, all right? But if you, if you were to do that, the area of my life that you would see and that would make you cry, sinner, or oh my gosh, look at this hypocrite, the area that that would be for me would be my mouth, the things that I say. Where I'm at in my discipleship to Jesus, my, the predominant sins in my life are sins with my words. And likely it would uh, be words that I said to my family or to people in my life group, because those are the people that I share life with the most closely. And so this weekend I was hanging out with a buddy of mine uh, in my life group, and I just wasn't being wise with what I said. I was just being frivolous with my words. And it was nothing scandalous, but I wasn't, I wasn't speaking in a way that in hindsight I felt like really represented Christ very well. And I woke up the next morning and the spirit was just on me. Like, I mean, just absolutely on me. Like saying, Bailey, you know that wasn't operating with wisdom or righteousness. You know that wasn't a wise way to use your words. You weren't using your words in ways that, in the way that Ephesians talks about it, that it gives grace to those who hear. And I knew, oh man, I just, I need to confess and repent. I need to confess and repent. But I didn't want to, if I can be honest. I just didn't want to. And I wrestled with God over it. I did not want to do it. I wanted to sweep it under the rug and just excuse it. I was saying things to God like, God, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. It wasn't that bad. I know plenty of people who speak way worse than what I did that night. It's, and, and honestly, everybody speaks this way from time to time. But what was really going on in me is I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. I didn't want to admit to myself or to God that I was wrong. I was asking myself the question, what is, it, what is it going to say about me if I own this? I wrestled with the implications of it on my identity. Additionally, I wanted this guy that I was speaking to his respect. Like, I wanted him to respect me and look up to me. I mean, after all, I'm a pastor, right? You know, that, that whole deal. I wanted his respect. I wanted him to think well of me. And I knew, man, if I confess this, I risk losing that respect. And so I wanted to hide. 
And eventually the spirit won, and I hit him up, and I was like, hey, man, listen, I just I need to apologize to you. Uh, the way that I spoke last night was not representative of Christ at all, and I'm really sorry for that. But I share that with you just so we see, like, to hide is to deny the light. To hide would be to say, to, would be to say God is actually okay with this, whatever it is in my life, and it's to walk in darkness. But notice, John says that if we do that, all we're really doing is deceiving ourselves. One way to think about confession is that we are just saying something about ourselves that everybody else already knows, that we are sinners who needed saving. But then he goes even harder. Look at what he says. He says, the truth is not in us. This is a statement about our faith and salvation. He's saying, if you will not agree with God about your sin, you are nowhere close to the gospel of Jesus. If someone lied to you and told you that being a Christian is about following a bunch of rules and living or voting a certain way, look, that's not it. You might have grown up around the church. Your parents might be Christians. You might live a very clean and morally upstanding external life. You might have the right mentality even about who God is and believe right things about God. But if you walk around pretending that you are without sin, the truth is not in you. And John says you are not a Christian because Christians are aware of their sin. And they bring it to the light, they confess it, and they repent. And you may be thinking, well, geez, man, that sounds like it needs some nuance, John. Like, that's a little bit of a strong statement you're making there. Not really. Because, see, when we confess our sin, we are confessing our need for a Savior. And when we say we, don't, uh, and when we, say we have no sin, what we are also saying is that we have no need for a Savior. That we had no need for Jesus. And so very practically, what this means for our community, as we are aiming to become a people who are compelling, a people who reflect the kingdom coming to earth, it means that here, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay, that we are not a people who are trying to put on pretension, that we are not people who are trying to fake this thing, like we've got it all together. It's okay to have issues and struggle here. In fact, that is the norm of the Christian life. Our expectation is that each and every one of us in this room are going to have areas in our life where we are off and need to be realigned with God. That is the fundamental doctrine of our faith, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. Here it is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. To walk in the light is equal parts confession and repentance. If we actually see the light, our actions will follow suit. We will seek to turn from sin. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. One of my favorite ways I've ever heard this put is that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. If you've got issues and struggles and a lot of darkness in your history, this is a safe place for you to be, to bring those things into the light and find the hope and healing that is in Jesus which is exactly what he promises to do. Look at verse nine. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. I don't know about you, but that is beautiful hope to me. That no matter who I am, that no matter what I've done, no matter what kind of darkness I've been living in, if I come to God in honesty, confessing my wrong and my need for his right, he promises me that he will forgive me and cleanse me no matter what it is. That I cannot outsend the grace of God. And friends, neither can you. 
No matter what it is, you cannot out the grace of God. He will be faithful to cleanse you and redeem you and forgive you. He promises you that. And so if you're here this morning and your life is an absolute mess, like an absolute train wreck, maybe you've been living in habitual sin for longer than you care to remember. Maybe your marriage is on the fringe of divorce because of sin that you've brought into it. Maybe you're just tired of living a double life. There is good news for you. Jesus' grace is for you. Jesus' grace is for us. But here's the thing. You will simply not find healing if you are unwilling to admit your need for it. You won't. You will not find healing. You will not find forgiveness if you are unwilling to admit your need for it. As 1 Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Confession is a catalyst for healing. And for some of you, your lives are a mess right now. You have habits and thoughts or patterns of behavior that are absolutely robbing you of joy and destroying your inner life and the relationships around you. And the precise reason why is because you refuse to acknowledge and admit that there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. So Christians are done with hiding. We bring our stuff out into the light. Second implication is that when it comes to confession and repentance, they have a vertical and a horizontal element. Confession and repentance are both vertical and horizontal. Let's look back at verse seven. John writes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John connects walking in the light with both our relationships to each other and with God. And so that's what I mean when I say that it has a vertical and a horizontal element. It's done both to God and to others. That walking in the light is not something that we merely do in private. Some of us have no problem being honest with God about our mess, but we have all the problem in the world when it comes to being honest with other people. But, but John says we, are, we would be robbing ourselves to live like that, that walking in the light is both. First, it's going to God saying, God, I agree with you about my sin and my need for Jesus. I'm wrong and you're right. And it's also horizontal to each other where we say, hey, guys, this is the sin in my life and I am wrong and God is right. Will you help me walk in that? We walk alongside me as I pursue righteousness together. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. For one, there is power in brothers and sisters being able to come alongside us in our weakness, right? James 5.16 reiterates this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has, power, has great power as it is working. That there is power when we confess our sins to one another and we are prayed for one another. That for whatever reason, this is one of the channels that God has chosen to work through and bring healing into our lives. To bring this stuff out for brothers and sisters to be strength beside us in. So for one, there's, there's power in it, but for two, it's fundamental to the building of the community of transformation and love that we are after. It's fundamental to who we are as a church. I'll say it this way. Our greatest intimacy comes from our greatest vulnerability. Here's what I mean. If you're hiding, if you've got secret struggles, secret sins or wrestles or whatever, if you're hiding then the reality of it is, is it's always going to be impossible for you to receive love. It's always going to be impossible because anyone who actually tries to love you, 
you're going to easily be able to discredit their love by saying, "Eh, yeah, but they don't know who I really am. If they really knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. And we do the same thing with God, right? We say, well, I mean, like, listen, I know he knows everything, but he probably can't love this area in my life as well. And we carry that into community. But listen, let me tell you this. One of the greatest sources of confidence and security in my life is my marriage. And here's why. Because Lauren knows the absolute worst things about me. She knows how utterly terrible I am. She knows every terrible thing I've ever done. Like, you guys think you see some awful stuff. You don't even scratch the surface to what she has seen in my life. She, know, she even knows the things that I don't know yet, right? Like, she, she sees the stuff about me that I'm not even aware of. But one of the greatest sources of confidence and security for me are that she knows all of that, and yet she still chooses to love me. And that kind of security can only be had when we risk the vulnerability of being known by one another. One of the most powerful communities of transformation and change in our society is Alcoholics Anonymous. AA actually started as a discipleship group in the early 1900s by a group, by a group that recognized that while, while there wasn't anything inherently wrong with what was taking place in churches on Sundays, the depth of relationship and transformation that the scriptures talk about uh, wasn't, wasn't taking place there. And so they began this group uh, to basically on the side recover, this he, the, recover the healing and transformational practices of the early church. And at the heart of AA is the confession of sin to one another. The first step towards healing is to come to the table and say, hi, I'm Michael, and I'm an alcoholic. And part of the power of AA is that while I might be anonymous, I'm not alone. I am surrounded by other people who are here who are going through this with me, and we are headed on this trajectory together. And what walking in the light with church family, it affords us the exact same thing a group of people to remind us that in our weakness, Christ is strong. That in our failure, he shows grace. That in our struggle, there is hope. To walk alongside you, to pray alongside you, and to go and to through your intimacy with them, be a tangible reminder of your intimacy with God. That if these people can know the worst about me and still love me, then I know God can too that he is a God who also knows everything about me, every dark crook and cranny of our soul, and he loves you and promises to forgive you and heal you just the same. To have a group of people around you who are saying, we are in this too. Which leads us to our last thing for this morning. That when it comes to confession and repentance, confession and repentance are the normal of the Christian life. Confession and repentance are the normal of, Christian, of the Christian life. What I mean by that is they are not this thing that we just do upon conversion to Christianity. They are a thing that we continuously do throughout our lives as Christians. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. The old reformer, Martin Luther, said it this way. He said that when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. What he means is, it's what we do. It's what we do as God's people. The way I heard a pastor put it once was that dogs bark, ducks quack, and Christians repent. That's how it works. 
And walking in the light is not a one-time thing. Walking in the light is our normal. Confession and repentance are the normal stuff that we do as believers. This is what our community ought to always be doing because this is how change takes place and we are aiming to be a people of change who are becoming more like Jesus every step of the way. And so what I need you to hear is that, so part of what this means is that most of confession and repentance doesn't have to be some big, crazy, emotional thing, all right? Like that's, it doesn't have to be that. that this, it can be just simply, this is what I'm dealing with, God. Will you help me grow? Life group folks, will you all pray for me and hold me accountable? And, that, and that's it. Like It's a beautiful piece of it. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's going to be something really big. Sometimes it is going to be a big emotional thing because maybe we've been hiding it, right? We've been hiding it for so long, and maybe some tears do need to be shed over this as we bring it out into light. And, that, and so that's okay, too. That's just a part of it. But most often, especially for those of us who've been following Jesus for some time, it's just another part of, an, of our ordinary life. So to give you some examples of what I mean, so like when, when we're parenting, there are times where we just have to stop and say, hey, kids, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I've been really stressed out with some stuff at work, and I'm being really impatient and harsh with you right now, and you are made in the image of God, and you, you don't deserve to be treated that way, and daddy is wrong for that. It is not okay for me to do that. I want to I apologize to you and ask you for your forgiveness. Will, will you forgive me? And then we treat them differently. As you're at work, there should be times where you stop and confess, God, I shouldn't be distracted on social media or Netflix right now. Like, I'm not being faithful with what you've given me to do. So I want to confess that I'm feeding my apathy and not joining you in the work that you have me here to do to make the world a better place. Would you help me focus and work hard for your glory to confess those things to him? Maybe even to send a message out on your group me to your squad and just say, hey, look, I'm, my heart is divided right now. I'm not being faithful. Will you guys pray for me? Will you guys uh, be, be kind of some strength beneath my wings, so to speak, in this area? And then to get back to work. As we're reading the Bible, as we're going through the practices of abiding with Jesus in Scripture and prayer, gaining knowledge from God's Word to us, there should be times where we stop and go, whoa, what I just read, that's me. Jesus is reading my junk mail right now, and that's a problem, and I need to do some changing. James 1 says that the word of God is like a mirror that shows us our sinfulness and where we need to change. So when so we come across things where it says, man, I need to forgive others as you've forgiven me. Well, man, right now, I'm not forgiving so-and-so. And we confess that to him, and then we turn and do likewise. Walking in the light means that every time our heart wants to rebel against the command of God or does not want to conform to the image of God, that we stop, we take stock of our hearts, we see the darkness that is there. We confess it and repent. And we do this until we die. We do this over and over again until we die. And the reality is, is that over time, this builds us into a more and more beautiful and compelling people. These practices shape and change us such that we actually become a people who look more and more like Jesus a community of people where love and healing is found, a community of people where change and freedom is present. And listen, this is what we want. And this is why these practices are so essential. Like we want to see our church, our life groups, our city a little more free from things like sinful greed, right? And that starts with each one of us owning it, confessing it, and repenting of the greed that exists in our own hearts. 
We want to see our city a little less gripped by sinful worry and anxiety. And that starts with us confessing that Jesus is powerful and in control, and I'm not. And I need to trust him in these ways. We want to see men and women set free from lust and workaholism and gossip and insecurity. We want to see them strong and courageous and empowered for life-changing, eternity-shifting kingdom work. And all of that begins by walking in the light. By owning the areas where we are believing false stories, by owning the areas where we are living in unreality and realigning to what God has said is true. So let me end just by simply asking you a couple of questions to help us walk in this, this, uh, this week. Are you walking in darkness? Are you walking in darkness? Are there areas of your life where you are refusing to let God be God, but instead you are trying to define what is right, true, and good for you? Are you hiding? Are you hiding? Is there something that you know God is not okay with that you have been sheltering for fear of exposure? Perhaps something that every time your life group gets together to confess, it like burns in you, but you always refuse to speak up. Is confession and repentance your normal? Are you normally walking in these things? Is it the pattern of your life to be honest with God and others about where you're off and realign to reality? For however you answered those questions, let's start there this week. This is why we have built into our group times and our life groups that engage the heart time when your leader kind of presents that. That's what that time is about. For us to just have some structured time together where it's like, hey, where we're off, we're gonna bring that out into the light now and walk alongside each other in it to learn to repent together. And so let's start there this week. Don't, don't wait. Let's confess, repent, and walk in the light as he is in the light. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the gift of confession and repentance that uh, you have given us these practices to know you more, to be more aware of your grace and your love and your mercy to us and to be changed and shaped by your spirit. It's really difficult to do though, God. Like I know there's so much fear that comes in this, this fear of exposure, this fear of what are people gonna think about me, God, what, all these things, God. And I pray just that your spirit would embolden us this week to walk in this faithfully, to recognize that at the end of the day, even, even the worst things about us are actually only telling others and telling you things that are already known, that we are sinful people who needed grace. God, we thank you that you are a God who readily provides grace, that you are eager and waiting to do it if we would come to you to receive it. And so, God, please break down our pride. Please break down those walls that we build up where we're just trying to keep the veneer on of, hey, we've got it all together. We're okay on our own. And help us to be a culture of honesty with one another and with you about the presence of sin in our lives. And we just need your help for that and pray that you would root it out of us, that we would look more and more like you. Yeah, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.